for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. We're going to talk about grace for the next four weeks. Uh, I, honestly, I had intended on teaching something else. I uh, have outlined those lessons already. And the sermon, that series that I was going to teach was called Hard Theology. And I was going to talk about the sovereignty of God, sorrow, suffering, and servitude. These are hard things. Uh, which, quite honestly, I'm, I'm probably better at than the sensitive stuff. Uh, but God told me, I'm certain of it in my prayers, he said, just love them a while. Just give them space, love them a while. Let me love them through my word for a while. So I started praying about what that meant, and I believe this is what that meant, that God loves us enough to send grace to us. Now, the question is, what is grace? The dictionary answer is it's the unmerited favor of God. I've told some of you guys this story before. I had just gotten saved some 17 years ago, and about three weeks after I got saved, took a guy to lunch after church because I wanted him to be saved too, right? And so I, I told him, I said, won't you come to lunch with me? I, I didn't tell him I was going to tell him about Jesus. Just let me come to lunch. And we're sitting there, and I start unloading the gospel on him. The problem is I didn't know anything about the gospel, right? I knew Jesus. That's all I knew. And so he's talking. And I, I kind of interrupted him. I said, listen, man, I, what I really want to talk to you today is about Jesus and how Jesus can save you and Jesus wants to save you and blah, blah, blah. And he's extended grace to you and grace is sufficient and grace is overwhelming for your salvation and all of these things. And he looks at me right in the middle of this, me trying to push as many words out of my mouth at a time as I can and says, what's grace? How's all? It's the stuff. It's the, it's, the, it's the stuff it's that God gave us. You know, it's grace. So anyway, that went poorly. Um, I left there, went immediately to a bookstore, bought a Bible dictionary, found grace in it, called him and said, hey, grace is the unmerited favor of God. I was very confident. Long story short, he uh, about three weeks later, he gave his life to the Lord. Um, through my ignorance, he still gave his life to the Lord. But I think that was probably when I determined that Sunday school answers weren't ever going to be enough for me. These platitudes that we give in church aren't good enough sometimes. You could say grace of God or insert whatever here that you heard somebody else say, but if you don't know what it means, it's not going to make much difference to you and it certainly has no power to change your life. And so I want to talk about grace. But before I talk about grace, I want to talk about why grace. Because the fact of the matter is God did extend unmerited favor to us, but that's an insufficient definition. I think a better definition is grace is the restoration of a love once lost. Listen to that. There's a poetic nature in that. It's the restoration of 
of a love once lost. God did everything to restore a relationship that used to exist as though it has always existed. There's a time in man's history, I'll tell you a little story. There's a time in man's history when our love was exactly as it should be. We sought after God. God sought after us. We loved him. We enjoyed intimacy with him. Everything was right in the world. We walked according to the word, or it infers in the word that we walked in the cool of the day with him. And everything, the love was absolutely perfect. Could you imagine being able to walk with your creator? Because there's no sin in you. You can walk perfectly with he who is perfect and just have conversation in the cool of the day. And I think about the conversations my wife and I have and how beautiful they are sometimes. And I can't imagine what that must be like. But something happened. At some point in history, and it doesn't tell us when, it doesn't say from beginning of creation for three weeks that everything was good and then the fall happened. It just said at some point in history, we just assumed that it was the next thing after creation. That love, that intimacy, that perfection became familiar to us. And the same thing happens in our earthly relationships. We, we become familiar with what, we, what we're around all the time. And in that familiarity, what was overwhelmingly more than enough suddenly became not good enough. And we substituted the thing forbidden for the thing we desired. We took that which we were told do not take because we wanted that more than we wanted the love that had been given to us. We ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was punishment for that. God told us not to do it. We were in divine rebellion to God. God said that there would be judgment, that sin brings death. All of these things are true, right? But he still loved us. Here's the truth. The second we picked that apple or whatever it is and ate of it, we should have, if we got what we deserved, died right then, and God had every right to kill us and then start completely over. But he didn't. What did he do? He showed us mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is no judgment where judgment is deserved. But he said something had to die. So something has to die. And there was a substitutionary atonement made for Adam and Eve back in the garden. It says that he killed an animal and he placed that animal's skin over them. And so they were literally covered with the sacrifice and the blood that was given to them to cover up their nakedness, to cover up their sin, to cover up their familiarity and their rebellion. That is the mercy of God. Amen? But that's not the only mercy we received in the garden. We received the mercy of a promise that there would be a time when the enemy would be destroyed 
It's the first shadow of Jesus Christ in Genesis 3.15 that God would place enmity between the seed of the woman and the enemy and that that, enmity, that seed would crush the enemy's head. But that's not the only mercy we received in the garden. We received another mercy, a mercy that we don't think of as mercy. As a matter of fact, when we think of it, we often think, that's horrible. We got kicked out of the garden. Did you know God kicking us out of the garden was a demonstration of God's merciful love towards us? Let me explain to you why, because you're thinking that's not true. Everything was perfect there. Everything was beautiful there. There's fruit and all the food and all the stuff that they needed was there. They didn't have to struggle. They didn't have to do anything. Why is it a mercy? Why is it a demonstration of love that God kicked them out? Let me tell you why. Because there's two trees in that garden. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the other tree. What was the other tree? The tree of life. And if you took of the tree of life, you'd do what? You'd live forever. And so God took them out of the garden as a demonstration of love and mercy so that the temporary mistake that they made didn't cause eternal separation. Because if they had eaten of that tree in sin, then they would have been eternally submitted to that sin. And so God kicked them out and said, you're not going to have access to that. I'm going to perform that. I have a plan to rearrange you. I have a plan to pull you back to me. I have a plan to show you mercy and to extend love to you so that you might walk in wholeness and receive the grace that I have for you. That's good stuff right there. All because God loves us. Which is the name of the lesson today, because God loved because God loved, he decided to kick us out and then made a plan to restore us back to where we were. Let me read this to you. Isaiah 46, 9b through 10 says this, I am God and there is no other. Now I'm reading that, but this is, this is Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. God's not repeating himself for fun. He's trying to be exclamatory. He's telling them, listen, listen. You guys ever tell your kids, hey, hey, pay attention. Boy, you better pay attention. You repeat yourself. You're trying to get their attention. He says, first off, I need you to know that I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. This is his way of saying, one, pay attention, but also what I'm about to tell you, because I am God and because there is no one like me, because I will do what I set out to do, I have the sovereign power, ability, and strength to accomplish what I'm about to tell you. So it's a declaration of truth. And then he says this, If I can find it. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. I will do because of who I am, make your end like your beginning because it is my good pleasure to do so. The problem is, 
what's your end look like when you sin? Your end looks like damnation when you're walking in sin. If you are willfully in sin, living in rebellion to God, haven't given your life to the Lord and you die, you're going to hell. Now, a lot of people won't tell you that anymore because it's not culturally appropriate, but we ain't living in this culture. We're kingdom culture. And that's the truth. So what end is he talking about? He's talking about your end because you have submitted to Christ Jesus. Your end will look like the beginning when we walked in the noon, in the cool of the days, so in the cool of the day with God. And I have the authority, the power, and the sovereignty to do it. Can somebody say amen? amen. Did y'all get that? God loved us. We love God. We rebelled, deserved death. God didn't give us death, extended mercy to us, which is re releasing his right to establish judgment by sending love to us because he is love according to the word of God. So what I want to talk to you about today is why grace? And the title of this lesson is Because of Love. The message that I'm going to give you is out of a text that you're very familiar with. I've probably taught out of this text 10 times, but I've only ever talked about grace itself. I've not spent a lot of time talking about why grace. So I want to talk to you out of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. First, though, I'm going to read 1 through 3. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses. Everybody say were. I need you to get this. In which you formerly, everybody say formerly, walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Which means at some point you were a son of disobedience. Among them, we too, all formerly, everybody say formerly, lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, everybody say were, by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. So you were formerly a thing and deserved the wrath of God as sons of disobedience. But we didn't receive the wrath of God, did we? We should have received the wrath of God. In fact, Galatians tells us in the same in the same tone that there is a bunch of stuff that we did that deserves the wrath of God. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. This was our end before Jesus. But God determined to establish a new end for us. An end that looks like the beginning. We see a similar text in Titus. It's strange to me. It's not really strange. It's, it's very apropos that Paul says the same thing to just about everybody he writes to. He says this. For we, in Titus 3, 3, for we also once were foolish, which means we were foolish, 
disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. This is the condition that we were in. Does everybody get me? Am I making my point here? What did we deserve? Death. Why did we deserve it? Because we were in immediate rebellion to a divine authority. And that immediate rebellion, that, that divine authority is perfect in everything that he is. And as a perfect judge, we deserve perfect judgment. Because he has perfect wrath, we deserve perfect wrath because we were sons of disobedience. But we didn't get wrath. What did we get? We got love. And I can prove this to you. And in fact, it's the, it's the thing I hope to prove to you that in verse four, because of love, God moved. But God, ooh, mm -hmm. but God, mm -hmm. I'm about to get in my Pentecostal here in a minute. Mm -hmm. But God, which means you were all jacked up. But God did something for you. Titus says, but, doesn't say God, but that's the inference. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, did some stuff. And I'm going to talk about what that stuff is in a minute. But first, I want you to understand that although we deserve the wrath of God, God determined that's not what we would get. He determined to show us mercy. And that mercy is extended to us in love. Listen to me, you guys know I'm a linear thinker. God, according to the word, is love. Perfect love. Extended mercy. That mercy was extended as grace. So if you draw that line backwards, you have grace because you have a God that loves you. You are who you are right now because you have a God who loves you. You are dead in your trespasses. The only thing you could do as a dead person is decompose to a greater state of death. But God revived you by the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ to make you something else because he is love, extended mercy, and extended grace to you. Let this be an encouragement to you. I want to read you a text, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10. Paul is saying this. He said, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I, I got to tell you, sometimes I expect to hear from the audience, oh, you a whole lot less reactionary. Sometimes I think you should be. I'm going to read it again. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know who Paul wasn't talking to? Paul wasn't talking to a room full of pastors. He wasn't saying out of all these pastors, out of all these righteous dudes, I'm the least of y'all. 
He's talking to the Corinthian church, the first letter to the Corinthian church, which means that that's a church that's still jacked up and sitting under correction. And he says, as horrible as you are, out of all the stuff he calls them out of, he said, listen, I get it. I'm worse than all y'all. And I still would be if it weren't for the grace of God. And so would we be if it weren't for the grace of God. Why do I want you to know about the love of God? Because I want you to know the grace of God. Why do I want you to know the grace of God? So that you'll be encouraged to know that it doesn't matter who you were. But for the grace of God, you're something else now. It doesn't matter who you are, but for God, the grace of God, you'd be something else now. It doesn't matter who you will be, but for the grace of God, you can be better than you are right now. Because God loved you. And for no other reason than God loved you. He had every right to do with you whatever it is he determined to do with you. And the only thing he determined to do with you was to take you out of your familiarity, shake you loose, and restore the love that you set aside by offering grace. And when I say you, man, I mean us. I ain't wagging fingers at y'all. I get so impassioned a lot of times when I preach because I realize just exactly what the love of God and the grace he extended to me saved me out of. And when I sit and I think about that, man, it just, it's overwhelming. It should be overwhelming to us. It should cause us to be worshipful. We've talked about this before. Worship is what? It's reverence and adoration towards a God that extended love when he didn't have to. It's holiness. Guys, we can't, we have to get to a place where we're not coming to church to check our church box, our righteous box, and then going and living for the devil seven and a half or six and a half days for the rest of the week. We have to be the church of God wherever we are because God, wherever we are, extends love to us there. And he deserves for us to reverence him. He deserves for us to be holy as he is holy. He shed the blood of his own son so that we could have the probability, the likelihood, the absolute assurance of salvation so that we might be holy. Be holy as I am holy. Can anybody hear me today? Be holy as I am holy. It's the very least we can accomplish or try to accomplish for what he's given us. Well, you don't know what I deal with. I don't, I don't care what you deal with. Say, y'all, man, Pastor, you're supposed to care about my, what I deal with. I care about your emotional stuff and your spiritual stuff, but you got to work your salvation out before the Lord, which means you got to walk out there when I ain't around, acting like I'm around because God is around. You ain't hiding nothing. We not hiding anything. All right, I'm going to move on. I only say all of those things because I felt provoked to say them. But God loves us, extended grace to us for no other reason than he loved us because it's his nature to love us. 
secondly, because of love, God moved, but we were given grace. Five through nine reads like this. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him. In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, we might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us. In Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I'm going to start with that last piece. So that no one may boast. You didn't save you. God saved you. And he and he have to do it. Can we, can we do me, can we do us a favor? Can we stop acting like we did it for us? You know the reason most of society won't listen to us? Because we walk around town like the Pharisees of old with our head up and our shoulders back talking about how righteous we are and how unrighteous everybody else is when in fact we didn't do anything to save us other than rely on the grace of God. Maybe we should extend that same grace to people who are still falling short, people who don't know Jesus yet so that they might know Jesus. I've never been able to argue a, a sinner into heaven, but I'm certain I've argued a couple into hell because they reject me every time. More significantly, they reject Jesus every time. Amen? But let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about this five through nine. In the second part of Titus, where I, I talked a moment ago, Titus essentially says the same thing, four through six, when he says, when the kindness of God, but then the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God did it. Is, is, see how closely that mirrors the Ephesian text? It's the only thing that we could say. This is the testimony of Paul. This is the testimony Paul tells Titus. You guys have heard me say this before. I was this, but God did this. Now I am this. But if you're going to say you are this, be that. Be in Christ Jesus. Act like you're in Christ Jesus. Act like the magnificent, beautiful, awesome, overwhelming love of the omnipotent creator God has been poured out on you. Walk with your head up, your shoulders back, and boldly proclaim the king that you have. I'm not talking about arrogantly. I'm not talking about putting your thumb on. So I just told you a moment ago, that's not going to get you anywhere and it's not going to get them anywhere. But we can still be bold and confident and convictional. Amen? Why? Because our if God is love, then our love should mirror God's love, which means as he was willing to sacrifice, we too should be willing to sacrifice. Everything that he was willing to do, we should be willing to do. 
up to and including the sacrifice of our own life. Oh, 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 oh man, well, you can slow down. Good thing nobody told Jesus to slow down. Everything. And when we accept that love, that grace, that mercy, according to the scripture, we're given life. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. None of this is done under our own power. But by the power of Christ Jesus, by the justification of Christ Jesus through the work of Christ Jesus. Romans 3.24, being justified as a gift of his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. We were justified as a gift of his grace to be bought back into what was in the beginning. I'm just trying to paint a very simple connect the dots picture for you guys. That God loved you so much, he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we needed it because we were sinners of the worst kind. None of us were righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the truth of who we are were it not for the love and the extended mercy and grace of God. But not only were we given that, we were given life, we were given position. Listen to this. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Listen, man, I could spend a whole sermon talking about that. But this is what I'm going to say. You are seated with Christ Jesus. You have a hope for your future. That you'll be in heaven with God. But there's another truth that you need to grab a hold of. You're in that position right now. The moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he revoked your citizenship to this world and established you as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven with all the riches and the glory accessible, surpassing, overflowing, now that you had then. Now, this isn't a name it and claim it kind of thing. I'm talking about joy and peace and love and happiness. I'm talking about these spiritual truths, these overwhelming spiritual truths. There's no reason because of who we serve and how he loves us, that we shouldn't walk in joy, that we shouldn't walk in purpose, that we shouldn't walk in conviction. But instead, we've decided to step back away from the position we've been given and allow the world to creep in. It's time for us to take our space back. Did you hear me? Do you know why the world's in the condition that it's in? Because we let it get in the condition it's in. And when I say we, I mean the church. All we had to do is stop being there for them to be there. If I take a step back, something's going to fill the vacuum of the space that I was previously sitting in. So when we stopped talking about sin in the public, the public became sinful. 
when we stopped telling businesses that they couldn't sell alcohol on Sunday, they started selling alcohol on Sunday. When I grew up in this county, guess what? You couldn't, you couldn't buy beer on Sunday. You, let me back up. You couldn't buy beer in this county any day. And the people on the front line of that fight when it was still happening was the church. Amen. And the church said, well, we don't want to lose our relevancy. And in saying that, we lost all of our relevancy. We went from almost the whole society going to church on Sunday, in fellowship, living holy, to now maybe two out of every ten people go to church on Sunday. And the rest of them living for hell most of the other time. And a lot of the people that go to church on Sunday living for hell the rest of the time. Because that which we allow will consume us. That's why the Bible told, that's why God told Israel, don't move the borders. Now he was talking about physical borders. You know why? Because if you move the borders, it's a matter of time before the person on the other side of that borders assumes that's their property. Well, let me tell you, I'm tired of giving up property. Because I've been given a different position in Christ Jesus because of the love that God gave us, because of the grace that he extended to us. It is time that we, we don't have to fight. We just have to stand firm in our convictions and say, this is the line. It will not be crossed. Amen? That's who we are. That's what we do. That's what we should be doing. Why? Because God in Christ Jesus loved us enough to extend grace to us. Because God in Christ Jesus was convictional enough to send his son Jesus to die for us. He was loved us enough to have his son beaten and stripped naked, stabbed, flesh ripped from his bones, crown of thorns pressed into his skull, drag his own instrument of death to the top of a hill to be blasphemed and spit upon and punched so that you wouldn't have to endure the judgment that you deserve. Jesus Christ took it. And we're commanded to remember it. And we're going to in communion. But before I say that, can I tell you, if you could only remember what Jesus did for you when we're at the communion table, don't take communion. You need to remember what God did for you all the time. What Jesus took for you all the time. So I'm going to have Trent come up. He's going to start passing out these elements. But let me tell you, God gave everything to us so that our end may look like our beginning. And I don't know about y'all, but I need a new beginning. I need a beginning that looked like my actual beginning. I'm grateful Grateful is just such a shallow, thin word for the grace that God extended to me. Because without it, I am certain I, I wouldn't even be physically alive right now. I would have been, I was on a course of destruction already that I'm sure would have ended my life by now. Some of you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're on that same course of destruction. 
Now, it might happen when you're ripe old age. It might happen tomorrow. It might happen before I'm done talking. What's your end going to look like? Let me tell you, if you don't trust Jesus Christ with it, it's not going to look like what he plans for you. It's not going to be heaven. He sent his son Jesus so that you might have heaven and life more abundantly. Or perhaps some of you have known Jesus, but he became inconvenient in your life. For whatever reason, some you started hanging out with new friends and those new friends weren't down with your spirituality or your job won't let you talk about Jesus or whatever. And so you, you relented and then you relented some more and then you relented some more and you gave up the space that God's love gave you. You could take that space back. Before we take communion, the Bible tells us that we should check ourselves. Paul says, check yourself and examine yourself in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so I'm going to ask you to do that. Before we take this communion, examine yourself. Am I where I should be? Have I allowed myself to drift? Or have I relented the border I never should have given up? Here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing. If you ask forgiveness, God is faithful to forgive you and restore you back to righteousness. You can walk out of here just as squared away, pure and clean as you were. The very first time you gave your life to the Lord, or if you've never given your life to the Lord, more pure and clean than you've ever been. But you've got to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit to get that done. Because I'm not influential enough to change your mind or to make a decision for you. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you and thank you, God, that you love us. God, we do remember. We take this time to remember all the work from the very foundations of the earth when you had a plan until now that you've put in pouring your love out on us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and the work that he did. We declare that Jesus Christ is Lord that we're no longer going to live our lives according to our standard, but according to yours. God, we believe that you raised him from the dead, meaning, too, that you shall raise us from the dead, that we shall see eternal life and hope with you for all of eternity. God, where we lack, where we've tested ourselves and found sin, Forgive us, Lord. Restore us back to righteousness so that we might walk one day again in the cool of the day with you. I praise you, Lord. We thank you for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I referenced it a moment ago. Paul gives instruction to the Corinthian church. They were taking communion wrongly and so he tried to give them some instruction he said so 
I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And then when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <laughs> 